Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Reverend Steve Andrews. In today's text, we read from Numbers chapter 30. Moses spoke to the heads of the tribes of the people of Israel, saying, This is what Yahweh has commanded. If a man vows a vow to Yahweh, or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. If a woman vows a vow to Yahweh and binds herself by a pledge, while within her father's house in her youth, and her father hears of her vow and of her pledge by which she has bound herself and says nothing to her, then all her vows shall stand, and every pledge by which she has bound herself shall stand. But if her father opposes her on the day that he hears of it, no vow of hers, no pledge by which she has bound herself shall stand, and Yahweh will forgive her because her father opposed her. If she marries a husband while under vows or any thoughtless utterance of her lips by which she has bound herself, and her husband hears of it and says nothing to her on the day that he hears, then her vows shall stand, and her pledges by which she has bound herself shall stand. But if, on the day that her husband comes to hear of it, he opposes her, then he makes void her vow that was on her, and the thoughtless utterance of her lips by which she bound herself, and Yahweh will forgive her. But any vow of a widow or of a divorced woman, anything by which she has bound herself, shall stand against her. And if she vowed in her husband's house, or bound herself by a pledge with an oath, and her husband heard of it, and said nothing to her, and did not oppose her, then all her vows shall stand, and every pledge by which she has bound herself shall stand. But if her husband makes them null and void on the day that he hears them, then whatever proceeds out of her lips concerning her vows, or concerning her pledge, of herself shall not stand. Her husband has made them void, and Yahweh will forgive her. Any vow and any binding oath to afflict herself her husband may establish, or her husband may make void. But if her husband says nothing to her from day to day, then he establishes all her vows or all her pledges that are upon her. He has established them because he has said nothing to her on the day that he heard them. But if he makes them null and void after he has heard of them, then he shall bear her iniquity. These are the statutes that Yahweh commanded Moses about a man and his wife and about a father and his daughter while she is in her youth within her father's house. This is the word of the Lord. So this whole chapter has one primary theme, and that's the idea of making a vow. The secondary theme that we might pick up on is the role of family and and the, the idea of headship and authority within a family. But let's I guess let's take take up the second piece first, which does cover the bulk of the chapter, verse 3 down to verse 15, the idea of headship within the family. A father is the head of his house. He's the head of his wife. He's the head of his children. And so in the example in that first, like a second paragraph of the text, starting at verse 3, If a a young lady living still in her father's home, which means she's just a child, if she tries to make a vow, which we'll talk about vows here in a little bit, and her father's okay with it, then the vow before the Lord stands. And she she is then to live to that vow that she has taken. But if she tries to make a vow and her husband does not, or sorry, her father does not approve of the vow, then the vow does not stand. And, And the Lord simply forgives her and and does not look upon it any further. The vow is is void. It's no good. It's no more. Her father has that position of authority. Fourth commandment, honor your father and your mother. 
So as long as she is in his household, uh, she is his daughter. She is to, to honor him in that way. Um, so in theory, if a family is operating correctly, this girl first should have gone to her father and expressed her, her interest to make whatever the vow is and getting the father's permission to do so. Just as a child today would seek mom and dad's permission before making some kind of a big, big move in life. So that's an example there. Then when a young woman grows up a little bit into her teenage years and gets married and has a husband, then her husband is the head of the family. And so in the same way, she's still not free to just make any vow she wants. In theory, she ought to talk to her husband first and that the two of them would agree on this thing. But if she goes ahead and makes a vow on her own and her husband approves of it, then it stands. And if he doesn't approve of it, then just like the father uh, making it void, he can make it void and the Lord simply forgives it and, and doesn't look on it anymore. Um, so that headship role, which continues throughout all of Scripture, it's Old Testament, it's New Testament, it's even the hierarchy of, of the Trinity. We see Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There's a distinctive order to things in the way God has designed things. And this isn't supposed to be bad. Although as sinners, we often view it as bad and we, we abuse it too as bad. But it's just the way God created, that the husband is the head of his family. He's the head of his wife as Christ is the head of his church. And we don't look at Christ being the head of the church as a bad thing. So we ought not look at the husband being the head of a wife as a bad thing either. Again, in sin, we do. And there's a lot to that, and that's not really where this chapter is going. Uh, Ephesians 5 handles that pretty well as a beautiful section on marriage, which then ultimately teaches us that it's really about Jesus and the church. After Paul says such wonderful, uh, well, deeply profound things of the role of a husband and wife within marriage. So there are texts in Scripture, again, both Old and New Testament, that deal with this. It's not the primary focus of this chapter, so we return to that, which is the idea of a vow. To vow yourself is to take an oath. It is to bind yourself by the words that come from your mouth. But you're not binding yourself to yourself, right? You're binding yourself by something higher than you, which is Pretty much what's wrong with the vow in the first place is that you don't have, you don't actually have the authority to do that. Um, so the example would be, I swear, I swear by God that I will do blank. That's kind of the procedural here. And we'll come back to what Jesus says in the New Testament. We'll look at that a little bit more in depth, but essentially don't do this. Not a good idea um, in the long run. We did see the Nazarite vow earlier in the book of Numbers here, and so that is one example in the Old Testament of a vow that we see God's people making. And this chapter is going to dig into that a little bit more. So, if a man, verse 2, vows a vow to Yahweh, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. You can talk to your kids about this. Does this seem like a good idea to make a vow and have to be bound to this word, whatever it is that you speak, and have to do everything that it is that you've said? Uh, I'd make the argument that, by and large, this isn't a good idea. Uh, and we can see this. Uh, can you think of any bad vows that are made in Scripture? 
this gives you the chance to take a look at Judges chapter 11, maybe in a new light, as Jephthah, one of the judges in the book of Judges, makes just a, an empty-headed vow. I mean, as we hear the of the, the girl down in verse 6 of making a, a thoughtless utterance of her lips, which, you know, honestly, most vows are. As you think of culture today, and when you hear somebody say, I swear, I swear I didn't do it. You know, whatever they're saying, whatever they're vowing, whatever they're binding by oath, typically it's pretty foolish stuff. And Jephthah's in, in Judges chapter 11 is a rough one. Uh, I don't have that open, so let me real quick go to that. Judges chapter 11 is when Jephthah, the Gileadite, makes a vow... see if I can find a verse. Down in verse 29. So he's, he's seeking to deliver God's people. Verse 30. Jephthah made a vow to Yahweh and said, If you will give the Ammonites into my hand, then whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's, shall be Yahweh's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. So Jephthah would cross over to the Ammonites to fight against them. Yahweh gave them into his hand. He struck them from Eroer to the neighborhood of Manith, 20 cities, and as far as Abel Karamim with a great blow. So the Ammonites were subdued before the people of Israel. Now, in part, with his vow, you need to understand the, the culture at the time, which uh, their architecture, their, their homes weren't just like our homes today where it's a large structure it tended to only be a couple of rooms and in that first room you had animals too you would you would keep your livestock in there overnight for example so you you'd have your sheep if you had, if you had a few sheep if you had a couple of cows or whatever you'd bring them in overnight and they'd, they'd have feeding troughs inside so the animals could eat in the middle of the night and so Jephthah's idea here is that one of his animals will see him coming home and will come out to greet him. He does not make the assumption that his children would be in the house when he returns. If anything, they should be out working and doing whatever it is that they have as a task at hand. He just he makes he makes a vow. In his mind, it's a good one. But when he comes home, it's his daughter that comes out of the house first. Verse 2 of chapter 30 of our text today. If a man vows a vow to Yahweh, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. It just doesn't seem like a good idea to make a vow not, not as I read it anyway. Um, so another one historically that's pretty well known, I think, in the Lutheran church is, is Luther's vow. Uh, one day as he's, a, he's in, in the process of studying law, his father wanted him to be a lawyer in order that he could help his dad's business. Uh, well, Luther's studying, but he's, he's traveling, and as he's on the road, a massive thunderstorm swells up, and Lightning seems to be striking all around him. Luther's driven to the point of fear, and he makes a vow. He swears to St. Anne, if I recall the, the story correctly, that if, 
If God will spare him that day, he will give up his studies of law. He will become a monk. The rest is history. So there's a history of vows, but as we come to the New Testament, I mentioned we look at what, what the Lord has to say, what Jesus has to say in the future. This comes to Matthew chapter 5. It's verses 33 to 37 in the Sermon on the Mount. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Sounds pretty familiar here. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Uh, footnote there, it might say evil one. Yeah, no, the evil one. So the devil. So Jesus here says, don't take oaths. Don't try to bind things to yourself that you can't bind things to yourself. You can't bind God to yourself. You cannot swear by God. You cannot swear by his throne. It's his. It's not yours. You don't have authority over those things to swear by them in the first place. Even the hairs on your head, you don't have the authority over. You can't, ignoring the fact that we have hair color today, you can't change their color. You can't change their length simply by, by your word. God can. He has authority over them. And so Jesus teaches us, just let our yes be yes, let our no be no, and be done with it. Jesus instructs us to keep, in a sense, to keep every word that comes from our mouth. So he, he doesn't, doesn't necessarily weaken this. And you might say he strengthens it, that we need to be careful as the church, as Christians, about the things that we say and not speak thoughtless utterances of our lips, but be very intentional. Be mindful of the words that cross our lips because we are called for a purpose. Our lives are to bear witness to Christ and to his truth. So, Everything, every word that comes from the mouth of a child of God is a word that should be thought well and should be kept. And that's a tall order. And we're thankful to the Lord for his forgiveness for all those times we have failed to be a people of our word. In the past, in American culture, being a man of your word was considered a great virtue. Um, today, uh, I think it's not that much anymore. Lying is considered to be a craft and a skill, and you got to lie to get ahead in the world, and I sure hope you haven't fallen into that trap. Um, if you have, the Lord forgives you. We are called to be people of the truth, because our God is a God of truth, whereas the devil is the father of lies. So, we stick to the truth, and we stick to our word, and we do what the Lord has given us to do.